on to science and technology. Mark's Astro Science Journalist is here in the studio. Good morning. Good morning, Alex. Today, we're going to be talking about natural gas rigs in the ocean, the problems they've caused with self-cloning jellyfish. Also, what happens when people leave an urban area for just a few years, let's say seven years? Well, definitely nature takes control back pretty quickly, as we've seen in the case of new images from Fukushima. But we start with astronomy job listings. How would you like to direct the world's biggest telescope for a tidy sum? Mark, you up for that job? Well, I, I don't know if I'm... I don't think I'm qualified, and that's one of the reasons that they're having trouble uh, well, filling this position. Well, China's fact. built the world's largest telescope, and as you say, that the vacancy's been open. That's right. So this is the so-called FAST telescope, which is the largest radio dish in the world. It's 500 meters in diameter. That's a single dish. Uh, it costs 180 million US dollars to build. It's so big, it's literally built into the karst mountains in southwestern China. The entire dish sort of rests in a valley between the mountains, and it's designed to observe radio waves from distant black holes and pulsars, possibly even alien civilizations. It just finished construction last year, but right now it doesn't have a director and the hiring committee is having a hard time finding someone who both has the expertise and is willing to take the job. This is according to a recent report in the South China Morning Post. Uh, and that, as you say, is despite the fact that the salary for this job is a cool $1.2 million per year, plus benefits like free housing. Sounds pretty good. Why is it so hard to find someone who wants to take that job? Yeah, part of the reason is is you're dealing with small numbers to begin with. The number of people that they actually consider to be qualified. Uh, some say you could count them on, on your hand. Uh, right now, they're limiting the search to foreigners, and there's a certain logic to that because this is the first time that a facility of this scale has been built in China. So if you want someone you know, who has prior job experience, uh, you're going to have to look outside the country. But even then, there really is only a handful of astronomers around the world who have the scientific chops and the managing chops uh, because this is not just you know sitting at the telescope at night by yourself you are going to be running a major scientific institute in china if you take this job and you're going to have to navigate all of the academic politics that come with the job as well like deciding who gets to use the telescope which scientists are awarded time on it uh managing those kind of you know office politics, that's a tall order in any country, but it's certainly an even taller one if you're coming into China as a foreigner. On top of that, the location is pretty remote. I mean, it, you know, it, it is literally in the mountains. So if the search goes on for much longer, many Chinese astronomers are saying that the committee will have to hire someone from inside the country, and they'll have to learn on the job. Well, there's certainly incentives to take part. Um, also, maybe some challenges involved in the process but if you don't fancy that one, they're not the only ones hiring. NASA has a job opening for Planetary Protection Officer. Got to be one of the most intriguing job titles in the world anyway, Mark. That's right. Uh, it, it, this is an actual job listing. It's up right now on the U.S. government's job site, so uh, you know, feel free to fire off your applications. It sounds like a science fiction superhero title, but it actually is a position that NASA has had since the 1960s. And the thing is, it's not so much about protecting Earth from aliens. It's more about protecting other planets from us, from humans. So when we send spacecraft to Mars, you know, the spacecraft is assembled in an incredibly clean environment 
environment to try to prevent any microbes from getting on the spacecraft and then contaminating the planet. Because when you're trying to find life on Mars, you know, the last thing you want to do is bring some with you. So that's actually the bulk of the planetary protection officer job. Uh, but this position does have a salary of up to $187,000. So, you know, if you're out there and you're qualified, uh, have at it. Good luck. <laughs> Indeed. Good luck. Well, our next story sounds a bit like the premise of a science fiction horror movie. Over the past couple of decades, the world's population of jellyfish surging as they clone themselves into massive swarms. Now scientists think they know one reason why this might be happening. That's right. So we, we've known for a long time that jellyfish populations around the world are cyclical. They often come in huge blooms every few years. But recently, these blooms have been on the rise. And so, for example, in the Adriatic Sea, starting around 20 years ago, they started to bloom every year for no apparent reason. And, well, of course, jellyfish are a natural part of the ocean's ecosystem. This increase has been bad for a lot of people. It's bad news for fishers whose harvests are destroyed or you know their nets are clogged with jellyfish. It's bad for coastal communities that rely on tourism to have jellyfish-clogged beaches. Uh, and it can even cause shutdowns of nuclear power plants because they can clog up the cooling systems of plants that are located on the coast and use ocean water as coolant. But a new study now is suggesting that the reason for at least some of these jellyfish blooms is also related to our need for energy, uh, specifically the recent boom in natural gas drilling in the Adriatic. And the scientists think that the jellyfish are using the drilling platforms as a platform for breeding, for cloning. They're able to clone themselves into enormous colonies. Why cloning instead of old-fashioned breeding? Right. So the the life cycle of jellyfish is actually quite bizarre, and it involves uh, old-fashioned mating and cloning. Uh, and it, it actually involves completely different creatures. So first of all, the jellyfish that we're familiar with, that we usually think of as jellyfish with the bulbous body and the, tent- the tentacles, uh, those are called medusas, and they have male and female sexes. And uh, I'll leave aside the mechanics of how they mate because it's also quite bizarre. But they do reproduce sexually, but they don't make little baby medusas like most creatures. They make an entirely different organism. And these hatch from eggs as larvae, and they swim down to the seafloor to grow as polyps. So they attach themselves to the seafloor with little drifting tentacles. And eventually, after several years, after they grow, these tentacles start to bud, and they shoot out little like tiny bit, baby medusas. It's, more, it's a more extreme version of the caterpillar turning into a butterfly or a tadpole becoming a frog. That's right. It, it's a kind of metamorphosis, but, yeah. but really involving two different... Uh, different creatures. Mm. Uh, And these polyps are actually also able to reproduce themselves. Uh, They can clone themselves. They reproduce asexually. And so these are actually the organisms that form the living parts of coral reefs. So they have the capability to spread out into enormous colonies. And we've been talking about insufficient coral reefs or the problems with coral reefs. So is there not a possibility of turning this into a positive story? Uh, Well, it, it turns out... Obviously, it, it all depends on the conditions, and, and right now, the 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 conditions for coral reefs around the world um, in a lot of places are not so great, uh, as we see in Australia, for example. Mm-hmm. In this case, uh, these polyps have found 
a fantastic breeding ground for themselves, which are these natural gas drilling platforms that have appeared over the last 20 years in the Adriatic Sea. Each platform could host a colony that can shoot out billions of baby Medusa, baby fish, uh, uh, jellyfish, excuse me, in a few days. So as we look to keep harvesting more energy from the sea, you know, whether it's through wind or tidal or wave energy, you know, this might be something that we have to think about. I wonder if they're somehow responsible for a bizarre story that emerged this week. Did you see the, the Australian teenager who had his feet completely bloodied? He'd, he'd gone into the water, um, and it, it was a Melbourne beach, and he came out, and his, and his feet were covered in blood, and, and he was taken to hospital, and they wouldn't stop bleeding. And, and it had scientists puzzled, or local medical experts puzzled. They were doing uh, examinations on him. His father then went out to the same part of water with some meat and managed to catch some small little creatures that were devouring this meat and it turned out apparently that they were sea fleas and normally they would go for dead fish but somehow they found his feet delicious doesn't normally happen that way so it had a lot of people puzzled but uh, it's enough to put you off going to the water isn't it yeah, Although, among many other things, among many other reasons. Along with billions of baby medusas. Yeah. Uh, but, but seriously, um, apparently if, if he'd been trying to cool his legs down or, or, or help treat a, a sporting exhaustion situation, so that was responsible. Apparently if you don't stand still, it's okay. Um, now finally, also on the power of nature, I suppose, uh, we're going to finish with a story out of Fukushima. Uh, as nearly seven years on, nature has, has been reclaiming the cities, the towns that humans abandon near the reactor. It, it's just incredible to see cars and houses engulfed in a sea of green. Yeah, it really, the, the imagery is really stunning. Uh, these came from the Asai Shimbun, who sent a team of photographers working with drones into some of these abandoned areas closest to the Fukushima number one reactor. And that includes uh, places like shopping malls and also the residential areas for the TEPCO employees, uh, entire residential neighborhoods of two-story houses. And the images that came back are just stunning. Everywhere there are vines and grass and bushes that have just swallowed up the cityscape. You see parking lots overrun with, you know, bushes and vines that are coming up through the asphalt and swallowing up cars. Uh, you know, vines have completely enveloped some of these houses. And so it really is amazing how, how quickly nature can reclaim something when we're not around for just a little while. So, you know, like the DMZ and uh, Chernobyl, where also we've seen, you know, incredible uh, recoveries from nature. It's a reminder, I think, of how little the Earth will miss us if, if we disappear. Yeah, you, I think of Planet of the Apes and what happened to uh, the Statue of Liberty, for example. Exactly. And that iconic movie scene but actually wouldn't have to go that far into science fiction we can just look at photos of fukushima now to get a get an idea that's right mark zastro with our science and technology thank you thank you alex and thank you everyone for your company today we'll be back with this morning tomorrow at 705 so please do join us then so much going on this week on the domestic front local political drama with these uh, legal trials still ongoing with the presidential office scandal but also of course with north korea can't blink without missing something there so uh, do stay tuned as well for all your latest news headlines the next edition of those coming up in just a few moments followed by kurdation and careerscope